0: Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 120, How to Lead Through Failure, 11 Ways to Drive Results While Reducing Mistakes. Inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Does the way you lead communicate to your team that failure is not an option? That might sound like a good idea at first, but actually, if that's what you're doing, unfortunately, you're limiting innovation. You're limiting growth and development. You're encouraging cover-ups and lies, and you're breeding more serious mistakes. Now, this is true whether you lead a family, a small organization, or a huge business. The best way to minimize failure is to embrace it with open arms. That actually is a quote from Dr. Ron Friedman. He's the author of The Best Place to Work, The Art and Science of Creating an Extraordinary Workplace. And we talked to Dr. Friedman back in episode 105 a little bit about uh, failure being, it was one of the topics that we talked about. In fact, failure has been a frequent topic on Engaging Leader with our various guests that we've interviewed. Not because we all like to fail, but because if you lead a team that is making a difference, well, guess what? Failures will happen. Uh, it's amazing how many times in interviewing some of the world's most engaging leaders on this uh, on this podcast over the years, the topic of failure and mistakes comes up. And how do you respond to them? How do you communicate about failure to to your team? And how do you um, how do you just talk about and and learn from them so you can move on and avoid far more tragic er errors in the future. Now, we've never had an entire episode that focused on leading through failure, and so it's time to correct that. This here, my friends, is going to be the failure episode. We're going to talk about some stories of failure, and we're going to provide 11 ways to lead through failure that will help your team drive results while reducing more serious mistakes. Where did these 11... Uh, ideas come from? Well, I'll tell you what. My first story is this. Failure has been on my mind this past week for me because I experienced a bit of personal failure. I competed in a triathlon. As many of uh, you know, I've been doing triathlons since 2009, as well as marathons and other endurance events. This triathlon was an Olympic length triathlon. So it's It's uh, longer than, uh, let's just say, it's longer than the triathlons I've been doing the last couple of years. I focused on shorter events. This, uh, an Olympic length triathlon, if you think of like an Ironman triathlon, uh, then there's a half Ironman triathlon, and then Olympic length is half of that. So um, I'm like one quarter, if I can do an Olympic length, that makes me one quarter of an Ironman. (laughs) And I haven't done that length in the last two years. I've been doing shorter events. Uh, This, uh, an Olympic length, in case you're wondering, it's um, about almost a full mile swim and then almost 25 miles bike and then about a little over six miles run. It's all in kilometers and I can never remember how long these are in kilometers, but that's the mileage. And I did succeed in my main goal, which was to finish the race. Uh, as you can imagine, having not done that length in a couple of years, I just thought I'm not going to ha- set too high of a goal. In fact, I, I really hadn't been training much for this length period, so I just thought it'd be it, I'm just going to be happy if I finish. I, I won't care what place I get in or anything like that. But I had some other goals besides just finishing. Uh, I wanted to have fun, and I wanted to feel like I did as well as I was personally capable of. You know, as your, as your mom used to say, just do your best. Well, I actually failed in terms of both of those. I didn't have as much fun um, as I would have liked to. In fact, well, I, I had fun for the first two-thirds of the race. The last third was awful. It was brutal. It was grueling. Why is that? Well, the, the main reason was it was a very hot day and the course was very hilly. So it was just tough for me. But I'll tell you what, lots of most of the other athletes, even though it was harder for them, they finished fine and they didn't it wasn't so they didn't have struggle with it like I did. So I was worse than than the typical athlete on the course that day. And my finish time, my results were far below what I'm capable of. And that's primarily because in that last third I felt so bad that I had to walk. I don't know if I had to. I did. I stopped and walked for long portions of the run. Uh, It was a hilly course, and I started walking up the hills instead of running them. So, of course, I'm happy that I finished. I'm happy that I'm blessed with good good enough health to be able to do that, and I had the time and capability to experience that event and be out there with... Healthy uh, people, fellow athletes, that was great. But I f- did, I have to admit, I did feel like a failure in terms of what I was capable of, and and in terms of missing that fun that I normally would have at the finish of a triathlon. So I've been thinking about failure, and I came back and thought about all the lessons that I've learned from great engaging leaders that we've interviewed on this show. And I looked back through the archives and was fascinated by how often this topic comes up. It's something that leaders really need to um, be proactive with and be careful to not discourage failure, but to actually embrace failure. And so these 11 lessons that I have actually learned from this very week, many of them have just been good reminders for me, but actually inspired me this week, Uh, Came from things that we've already, came from little nuggets of past Engaging Leader episodes and blog posts. Number one is to face reality and acknowledge the failure. Back in episode 33, uh, which was called Leading Out Loud, author Terry Pierce talked about this that it's important for a leader to not ignore failure, and certainly don't sweep it under the rug. But instead, face reality yourself and also when you're talking to your team and acknowledge the failure that happened. If you if you do sweep it under the rug, what you'll do is you'll encourage an avoidance culture, sort of a CYA culture where failure is feared, uh, people tend to blame other people, and What's really bad is that people don't try new things and they don't take risks. And when that happens, some mistakes may actually get avoided, little things, but potentially fatal mistakes become much more likely. For example, take Blockbuster Video. On the top of the world back in 2004 in terms of the video business, but they ignored the trends, the the DVD by mail and streaming video trail that Netflix was blazing, and it resulted in their bankruptcy in 2010. Okay, here's number two. Provide encouragement by reinforcing the brilliance or the genius of whoever failed. I wrote about this in a blog post called He's Brilliant. And by the way, in the show notes for this episode, we'll put links to all of the resources, the the blog posts and the podcast episodes that are referenced. But in that blog post, I talked about the reality that everyone has certain things that they are genius in, areas that they're that they're brilliant in. And failure, when you come face to face with failure, it can cause you to doubt yourself and forget about your brilliance. And part of a leader's job is to recognize the brilliance in your people and to remind them about it when they're facing moments of doubt and make no mistake failure is a time of serious doubt so although you're facing reality and acknowledging the failure make sure you do your job as an engaging leader and encourage the people who are involved to remember that this is this this will pass and you ha- you're still brilliant don't forget that number 3 is take blame and share credit. We talked about this in episode 16, Engaging Lincoln, part one, where we learned about uh, Abraham Lincoln and his example as an engaging leader. He very much modeled the principle that if there's blame, if, if someone needs to be blamed for something, then by gosh, you take the blame for it as the leader. If there's credit to be taken, then you share that. So you want to own the blame, but give away the credit. There are many examples of Lincoln doing that. One that we talked about in that show involved his secretary of war, who we would today call the secretary of defense, Stanton. And uh, Stanton, uh, the, the, the early in the war, in the Civil War, things were going badly. Uh, Stanton could have taken the blame for that, could have been blamed for it. Uh, There were some mistakes that he contributed to. Lincoln actually stepped up uh, and uh, and took full ownership of the blame. And Stanton, who previously had hated Lincoln, had been his enemy, ended up being one of his most ardent supporters. Plus the fact that Stanton's credibility had not been destroyed by this mistake because he didn't have the reputation that Lincoln already had in order to, uh, to have the shoulders that could bear that mistake. Um, it allowed Stanton to continue to grow in his role as Secretary of War, and uh, it gave he ha, he maintained the power and influence that were critical later in the war to uh, to gather the resources and troops um, that were needed, even in moments of where those moves were very unpopular. We also talked about this same principle in episode one oh seven with Peter Bregman, who's the author of the book Four Seconds. And Peter said, it's a sort of a paradox, but remember that taking responsibility for someone else's failure can actually help your team. Now how do you do that as a leader? It's not always easy. I just, to me, I always, I guess it just comes back to that. If, if there's blame, I'm gonna take it. If there's credit, I'm gonna share it. That doesn't mean I don't hold somebody accountable. but in ter- But I do that privately. I let that person save face. For example, when I'm working with clients of Asmodel Communications, every now and then there'll be something like a typo that slips through or um, a, a deadline that was missed or even a strategy that had a gap in it, something that we really should have taken a certain situation into consideration. And I definitely deal with those with my team when those when those become uh, when, when those become uh, when we become aware of them. But in terms of facing the client about those, I try to. I probably haven't always been good at this, but I try to just accept blame, especially. Well, not especially. I if I'm talking to the client, it's and, and I'm got any sort of involvement in that project then i take the blame for that because i'm sure there's something i could have done to prevent that situation from happening and uh that allows the team to retain their credibility because with most of the clients i have enough of a history with them and th- that they that they trust me and and that they see, are more able to see the this little mistake within the greater context of the Overall success that we've been having. But it allows the team to learn from that, to retain their credibility, to move forward, and to trust me. They don't feel like their leader is going to stab them in the back. So, as Peter Bregman said, taking responsibility for someone else's failure can actually help your team. That's number three. Number four is use I language to own my contribution to the mistake. And then we language is always to share learnings what did what did we learn from this and also to share about successes these are i and we are two of a type of word that i call power pronouns and i actually have a couple blog posts that i'll be publishing later this month to go into um, more detail about about these but when you do so so going back to our third point about accepting the blame yourself taking that blame it's just really helpful to use the word i when you're talking about the failure and any sort of blame or... And I don't even like to ever use the word blame. Instead, it's just how to, what contributed to this failure or to this mistake. And try to use the, think of that in terms of I because as the leader, you certainly had a contribution. When you're talking about what can we learn from this or what went right despite that, what, what how was this project a success, make sure you use the word we because that creates group ownership. Uh, So use I language when you're talking about blame or contribution to the failure, and use we language when you're talking about what did we learn from it or what were our successes. Number five, treat failure as a source of learning, not a cause for blame and punishment. We talked about this in episode 94 Collective genius, the art and practice of leading innovation with Greg Brando. You see, innovation always comes from failure. You've heard how Thomas Edison uh, had to go through like something like 10,000 failures with the light bulb before he actually succeeded. I don't know that that's the exact number, but it was a very high number. And if where there's innovation, you're gonna find certain failures but only if you learn from those if if it's intelligent failure so your first assumption shouldn't be that there this is something that we should criticize or blame the first assumption is that there's some sort of intelligent failure that happened here what can we learn from it it reminds me of a time that uh, of a failure that happened when we were there was a group of us who were making a recommendation to a CEO of a large company the three of us in that meeting, in addition to the CEO, were the senior vice president of HR, the director of learning and development, and me. The spokesperson for our trio had been designated to be the director of learning and development, so he did most of the talking. The CEO decided at the end of that meeting to approve only a small part of our recommendation. So it wasn't a complete failure, but it was a failure. When the CEO walked out of that room the three of us looked at each other, and the very first words came from the senior vice president of HR, and who, who, by the way, was the, with the CEO gone, he was the the top dog in the room. So, what did the top dog say? His words were, and "I'll never forget this moment. What can we learn from this?" He didn't need to tell us that we had failed; uh, that was evident. Um, he didn't rub it in our wounds. He didn't say, "John, you were the spokesperson and you blew it." Even though I got to admit that's what I was thinking when he said, "What can we learn from this?" Uh, until he said that, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, I we planned this out, and, and yet I somehow—I guess I'd never seen the director of learning and development in action speaking." To a group, and speaking to his the, the big boss, so he 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 was clearly intimidated in this by speak having to address the CEO, and he was he did a lot of stammering and stuttering and and uh, not looking the CEO in his eyes but looking down, and uh, a lot of those just communicate those sort of common sense communication no nos. Including talking way too long, he missed the power of brevity, which I'm probably missing <laughs> as I'm telling this story right now. So he went on way too long, and the CEO clearly did not put any trust into the recommendation uh, because of the way it was delivered to him. I mean, we still at the end of that meeting, we we still thought it was a the the right recommendation, but it was not. Uh, properly communicated to the CEO, and so he did not accept the full recommendation. But this very engaging leader, this SVP, as soon as he said, what can we learn from this? And he said it in a helpful tone, turned that conversation around. Uh, I immediately quit thinking those blaming thoughts that were in my head, and I realized, number one, that I'm not sure we could have prevented this situation because we didn't know, uh, except for maybe practicing it, We could I guess we could have practiced the, the meeting uh, since we had not yet seen the director in this type of forum. But I, I started thinking about why didn't I coach him better? Why didn't I prepare him better? Why didn't we do some kind of practice so we could test this out? And other things like that. Where Where did I contribute to this? And the very next person to speak was the director. And he uh, immediately started pointing out very good comments about how it went and his, what he did and could have done better. And, and so we learned from that and were able to go on and do better in the future. We performed better in the future together. So his very first reaction was this, that as senior VP, treat mistakes, missteps, and failures as sources of learning. Number six is the topic of flexible thinking. And part of that, a key part of flexible thinking is to accept that mistakes are a part of purposeful work and innovation. Another way to look at that is just recognize that many types of mistakes will not negatively affect the outcome. And the story I just told, that particular occasion did not end well. The the outcome was harmed but the sort of long-term purpose we went on and we we fixed things the long-term outcome what we were we were going for still was still achieved in that in the overall strategy even though it should have gone better with the CEO but in when you when you recognize that not all mistakes are devastating in fact most failures i don't know about most failures the the key is to to differentiate where there is a learning failure or let's call it an intelligent failure and which failures are actually pre- more preventable ones where it was it, it should have been prevented due to better preparation um, due to better care uh, due to not being sloppy due to uh, better systems and so when there is some kind of failure take a few moments to think about it before you react and think about is this really such a critical failure, uh, or is this was this an intelligent failure? And I think we can all think, uh, remember times when we have failed, and it wasn't the end of the world. And yet maybe somebody else freaked out on us; they overreacted, uh, maybe a boss or a coworker, and it was very clear to us that you know this I, this was an honest mistake. And we can learn from it and move on. And you want to be the type of leader that can recognize those honest mistakes, those intelligent failures, those learning failures, and not uh, jump on people when those happen and not make them feel horrible. So accept that mistakes are just a part of purposeful work and innovation. Number seven is mind failures for opportunities. We talked a little bit earlier about how You want to see them as opportunities to learn, but now we're just—we want to. This is taking it a step further. Not just reacting to them as um, more positively than blaming, instead of and reacting to them in, in ways that learn. We're talking about now getting more energetic about mining those opportunities, viewing them as a gold mine. For opportunities, these are some of our best learning uh, options. And if we don't have a big enough gold mine, a deep enough gold mine, we're actually going to miss opportunities to learn. So if if we don't constantly—I don't know about constantly—that may be overstating it. But if your organization is not continually learning from failures, then they're probably not pushing hard enough. They're probably not risk taking risks. They're probably not trying new things. They're not stepping outside their comfort zone. They're not thinking outside the box and all sorts of other cliches you want to throw out there. This is the way that uh, Ron Freeman puts it. He says, fearful teams avoid examining the causes of their blunders, making it more likely that their mistakes will be repeated. Failure often contains powerful clues for improvement, especially when the focus is on what can be improved in the future. And he, he's, uh, he says a great way to be continually mining those failures for opportunities is to ask future-oriented questions like, like this. What's one thing we can do better next time? See, when you, the, the, in the earlier story I told, the senior vice president said, what can we learn from this? That, that was a very a good way to phrase that. And that, that wouldn't be a bad mantra to always be, uh, to be using. This, this question uh, gets a little bit more specific, though. What's one thing we can do better next time? Use that in particular when you, if you were to ask the question, what can we learn from this? And you get silence from your team. Uh, sometimes it's it's like we're being too big and grand. And so if you just get a little more narrowly focused, just what's one thing that we can do a little better next time? If you ask that kind of future-oriented, very direct question frequently, you're going to get some powerful results. Some You're going to uncover some opportunities. Number eight is have the courage to change. We talked about this in episode 32 when we talked about uh the endurance um the uh about shackle ernest shackleton and his quest to make it to the, the south pole which was a huge failure he never did make it to the south pole but his his crew uh loved him because of the way he responded to that and when asked later uh would you rather go with somebody like amundsen who successfully made it to the the south pole um, or some of the other successful explorers, the crew member said, Nah, give me Shackleton every time. He earned his crew's loyalty and trust and even love. Uh, a big part of that was his response to the failures that they faced, and they faced many hardships on that trip. But he not only did he respond with grace, he actually had the courage to change when. When he some of the problems that happened were of his own making. and he re- recognized what he was doing wrong, and he had the courage not just to recognize those, not just to learn from them, but to put a different plan into action. And uh, it ultimately saved his entire crew. They all should have, if you ever heard the story, uh, um, if you haven't, go back and listen to episode 32. But uh, they, they all should have died. They, it was it, There was so many opportunities for them to die. It's amazing that any of them survived. And in fact, 100% of that crew survived. And it was due to Shackleton's engaging leadership. Number nine, prepare to not make the same mistakes next time. I talked earlier about there are intelligent failures, but then there are preventable failures. And once you learn from a mistake... It ought to become preventable in the future. I mentioned Amundsen. He was another explorer, the, the first explorer to successfully lead a team to the South Pole. We talked about him in Engaging Leader episode 31. And a great quote from him is this, Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So learn from the mistakes and figure out are there any processes or steps that you could do in the future to prevent the same kind of problem from happening? I was telling you about my triathlon uh, experience. And yes, I was out in the heat and and um, in a very hilly, challenging course. But what made a big difference in the failure was this. I made a screw up. I have discovered in the last few years that I sweat a lot. I'm sorry to gross you out, but I sweat a lot. And... Uh, in a long event like that, sweating, of course, can cause dehydration. But a, a sort of that's kind of obvious when you are when you're getting dehydrated, you want to drink more water, and so that's that's obvious. You're thirsty, you drink more water. So I, of course, I do that. What's not obvious is that you're also losing salt, and there's actually a, a, a potentially fatal condition. I can't remember what it's called, some scientific name, medical term, for when your salt gets too low and uh, you get for it, you start getting cramps in your muscles and in your stomach, and then it can it gets to the point where you're dizzy, and then it can get to the point where you faint or even die. I have had that on numerous occasions in terms of the muscle cramps and even the dizziness, and uh, I was experiencing that, not the dizziness, I was experiencing the, the muscle cramps and um, nausea uh, in that last third of this race. So, To prevent that, I learned to carry some little salt tablets, uh, a product that the one I like best is called S Caps, little sodium capsules, and I I take those about once an hour, or if it's really hot, and I I would take two an hour. Well, I made a last I I, I, there's an uh, another kind of capsule that I will usually take after a race. That is um calcium lactate, and that just prevents muscle soreness a totally separate issue uh, from dehydration and salt and all that it's just a uh, it when you work out really hard uh this sodium or calcium lactate can prevent muscle soreness well, I had actually put them I got my little baggies mixed up and when i when I took off on the run, I grabbed a baggie that had um some of both types of capsules in it and in the race uh, I didn't realize this until later but I when I thought I was popping sodium capsules I was actually taking the calcium lactate lens and I kept thinking man why do I still feel so bad I just I'm getting more sore and more sick feeling and I just gotta walk and then basically all I had done was mixed up my capsules and so how am I gonna prepare to succeed next time i have a checklist that i follow my pre-race checklist and i change that checklist to make sure i do not put both types of capsules in the same baggie and uh only carry the capsules that obviously have salt in them and leave the other baggie in my bag for after the race which is when i want to take those to prevent that soreness so uh Prepare to not make the same mistakes next time and I feel much more confident about my next triathlon. Number 10 is let go and move on. We talked about this in episode 99 when Simone Wright was teaching us seven ways leaders apply the science of intuition. And one of the, the ways that business leaders, intuitive business leaders, do that is to know when it's time to move on. So you've failed. You've review you've talked about it, you've reviewed it, looked for opportunities to learn and grow from it. And then at some point you just gotta let go and forget about it. You know, I have some failures in the past that it's just painful if I if I stop and think about them. It I still to this day, 10, 15 years later, whatever, I still cringe when I think about failures. And yes I learned from them and yes I've made sure I didn't make the same mistakes. And still, if I stop and think about them, I cringe. You've got to know when it's time to just let go and move on and make sure your team can do that as well. And the last is number 11, encourage and even reward intelligent failures. I never heard of doing this, but in, in uh, Dr. Friedman's book, The Best Place to Work, he has several examples of companies that actually will have awards for failure, for example, a, a, a some of them have a quarterly award that they call the best new mistake, the best new mistake award. I like that because it keeps the focus on new mistake. We don't want to necessarily encourage people to make the same old mistakes or just sloppy mistakes. But what a new mistake is something is an intelligent mistake, something that happened because we were. Uh, being innovative we were or we were trying new things software development company hcl technologies actually invites their executives to create what they a a failure bio or a a failure resume or a failure cv and it's actually a list of some of their biggest career blunders and what they've learned from each experience here's a simpler idea you can do this in your family or even in a small team, but on a regular basis, maybe at a family meal or at a, a team meeting, just ask people. What's what was your what was some, tell me about a failure this past week? Tell me about a mistake you made this past week. What did you learn from it? A lot of times we have those kind of meetings and we we start off. What's what's something great that happened this past week? Tell us about a, a win. And those are generally a great way to st- kick off a meeting with some energy and a recognition of success. But how about encouraging people to to try hard to 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 innovate by being feeling comfortable to talk about their mistakes and failures. Remember, if you're not failing, you're not growing. That that's um for you as a person and for your team uh, as a as an organization. There's so many cases where that's where the, the people that are actually making a difference in the world actually have made more mistakes than the rest of us. Take Babe Ruth. At one point, for many years, he held a record for having the most career home runs. Well, you know what? He also held the record for a few decades for having the most career strikeouts. Yeah, he struck out more than anybody else in, his, in, his career at that, in their career at that time. And that record stood until, guess who broke it? Mickey Mantle. Another one of the all-time greatest baseball players held then held the record for the striking out the most times, and then guess what? Reggie Jackson held the record. So uh, it doesn't just apply in sports, but it also applies in with inventors and innovation. People that have these big wins, they, when they've studied them, they found out they have actually failed more than the rest of us. Why? They tried more times. They they they've stuck their neck out more often. They weren't afraid to fail. And when you are willing to do that, then you're going to have more wins. You personally, your team, and in your progress as a leader. All right, Engagers, we've been talking about how to create the space for intelligent failures. Leading through failure will help your team drive results while reducing serious mistakes. Now, as I mentioned, we'll provide links to all those podcast episodes and blogs that I mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 120 as in episode 120. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find us at Communications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.